and welcome to the latest episode of the Autocar Business Changemakers podcast held in association with Tomorrow's Journey. My name is Mark Tishaw, the editor of Autocar. I'm standing in for Felix Page on hosting duties today. With us, as ever, is Chris Kirby, uh, CEO of Tomorrow's Journey. And with us also, our very special guest today is Ben Boucher-West, Chief Digital Officer at Connected Curb. Welcome to you both. Good morning. morning. Ben, firstly, tell us a bit about yourself, your background, Connected Curb. Yeah. Um, so first of all, thank you very much for having me. Um, it's really good to sort of come on the show. I'm an avid, avid listener and enjoyed a lot of the content so far. So well done. It's a great, great platform. Um, I'm Chief Digital Officer at Connected Curb. We uh, specialise in on-street EV charging uh, with a focus on uh, the access to people who don't have driveways. So we're trying to work towards a full home charge experience for people who don't have driveways. That's the that's the mission vision. Um, but my background, I've, I've been largely in the automotive space for most of my career. I started at Bosch as a sort of technical sales engineer uh, and then moving into more technology teams, building the navigation systems and, and driver assistance, driver messaging. Uh, and then I jumped and joined Jaguar Land Rover uh, and worked with uh, their sort of future autonomous vehicle program, but in driver assistance. So it's the the path between cruise control today and full level five driving in future. Um, Love that very much, but got involved throughout the process in a lot of different infrastructure companies. I was going to conferences at the time talking about V2X. I was there as vehicle X could struggle to define itself or point (laughs) at itself. Um, So I started a sort of slightly uh, unhealthy interest in infrastructure, digital infrastructure, IoT devices, and have gradually moved across to that area. So um, uh, joined Bosch in their smart city team, work for Happy Way, a digital curbside management company. Um, spent a lot of time in dialogue with Chris on all sorts of uh, opportunities in between uh, and then joined Connected Curb about two and a half years ago now. Awesome. And I think, Ben, we've, we've talked about many things over over many years in, in this space, but one of the kind of hot topics, and I guess it might be a, f- a few weeks old by the time the podcast goes out, but yeah, we're only a few days into the uh, announcement of moving the EV ban back by, by five years. Um, and an interesting feelings on it i think i guess your network similar to mine on linkedin people go you know it's very ev focused you know esg auto you know, everybody's kind of a bit up in arms about it what's kind of your take on it what's your a couple of days in how's it settled yeah i think a couple of days are important because uh initially i was very very disappointed i think we as a business i think the whole industry was sort of rocked by it it's another example where uk gov uh, softens its uh, its messaging, moving the UK from leader, attracting lots of investment, lots of excitement, lots of early growth to middle of the pack across Europe. So now the investor scene is going, well, could have been UK, could actually go anywhere. So mm. I think from the sort of financial uh, elements in the business, there is a big repercussion for it, um, which makes us very, very nervous. Um, for the business in terms of adoption, we think while well, we see a cooling on that sort of hard stop at the 2030 ban, the ZEV mandate, as far as we know, remains untouched at the moment. So just to recap, so that means 22% of all cars from January next year need to be EV, sold out through the dealerships, going up to about 80% of the 2030. So the adoption curve is still there and we still enjoy daily uh, dramatic increases in adoption. So we think it's there. And finally, perhaps pragmatically, I think for the small business trader, there is a little bit of relief. It gives them some options over a longer time. Uh, I know the finance, I know the products themselves, the vehicles are still sort of coming out and people are getting comfortable with them. Certainly the sort of mid-sized vans remain fairly expensive right now. 
But my view is that it's all set to change in the next 12 months. So ultimately very disappointed that we move from 2030 to 2035 as a country. Yeah, definitely. It feels a bit of a bump in the in the road in a sense. And it's the same as you, and it gets announced and you go, oh my God, and it's so mad. But I think probably the, the realists among us probably felt that, that was it was never realistic that, that, was, that all ICE vehicles would be banned by, uh, by 2030. But it was a clear statement of intent, right? That, that this is what we're going to do all of the investment, everybody focused on it. I don't know there was many consumers out there going, I better buy an EV because I'm worried about 2030. It was definitely an industry thing. So I think yeah. that that kind of consumer adoption curve shouldn't be impacted. Um, I think the main thing is just hopefully it doesn't impact infrastructure and, and kind of that that element of it. Because if everyone goes, oh, cool, we've got five more years now, let's, let's stop putting money and stuff into things. It, it, it definitely will. It's, it's yeah. going to hit the financial side of the infrastructure, I think, more than the consumer at this moment. Um, but we'll, we'll see how that plays out in the next week. Does, does the opportunity change for a company like Connected Cab off the back of this? Does it, does it give you more time? Does it does it rephase the investments or the, the, the market opportunity for you? Yeah, I think uh, for the local authority update, we still need to sort of work with them and understand if there's any impact. As I said, the adoption curve is still there. So next year's, you know, 20, 22% of vehicles and then a glide path up to 2030, which still means most of us will make the transition into EV vehicles by around 2030. Um, I think it's more, we're going through a period in the industry where government investment in infrastructure is definitely cooling a little bit because uh, as ever, they've sort of created the catalyst of change and now the private sector is stepping forward to you know, look at the rest of the capital and uh, the infrastructure investment that's needed. My worry is those investors have got slightly stretched timelines, slightly less aggressive targets to deploy capital to, and that may see a cooling as well. So. Um, we remain focused you know, largely on, I would say, public accessibility, but that includes things like workplace, things like off-street parking as well. Um, but we will definitely need to restructure areas of our business to make sure that we've got the right products meeting demand. And there's something we'll talk about shortly. I spend a lot of time looking at what is that demand curve, what's the placemaking, where do we put this equipment, when, over what timeline, and importantly, studying utilisation at a sort of an academic level of, of granularity to make sure we really know how this needs to be rolled out. What is your stock response as a bit of a top-level question at Connected Curb to... I think five years ago, doing our job, reviewing these cars, the electric cars, it always came back to range. What if I need to go and visit Granny in Edinburgh, you know, in the next two hours? I mean, you probably never would, but that was always the the, the stick beaten. You're kind of at that version of the question five years on now. Well, I live in a flat. I can't charge my EV. What's your kind of stock response to, to, to questions like that? I think I think range is part of the sort of myth piece. I mean, uh, most the, the EV experience is that assurance of your next charge. So... Um, unless you're very unlucky or, or you know, you like to sort of uh, push things to the limits, um, very few of us end up in vehicles worrying about our next charge. It's more things like when I get there, will it work? Will it be available? How comfortable am I with the experience? Have I already you know, got a prior experience? It's a network I've used before and trust. So I talk a lot about assurance of that next charge. Um, and I think there's great coverage now. You know, there is a lot of accessible points out there. I think as an industry, we still need to be chasing our quality. Um, I'm pretty proud of Connected Curbs quality, but I can't say that we're completely, you know, clean everywhere. And a lot of other networks still have some problems. So when you arrive on a charge point, you need to know it's going to work and look after that onward journey. There's a lot to unpack there. I think there's still a need that, you know, I want to refuel my diesel vehicle and do 600 miles. Or my EV must do the same. Um, 
that's okay and I think the industry will get there but the reality is very few of us are running tank to tank to tank uh, empty 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 it's the same with EV we observe a lot of people charging our network every couple of days somewhere between about 40 to 80 percent of a charge very few of these cars are plugging in and demanding a full recharge cycle with any regularity so and then I point back to the DFT stats you know the the car counting has been done very few of us do more than about 20 miles a day in the UK um, even monthly some of those longer trips can largely still be handled on an EV charge um, and then the, your outliers you know Scottish grannies and things like that I think mm-hmm. you just need an extra level of trip planning but that's getting better all the time I mean Google Maps is showing more and more EV points at the moment there's plenty of EV trip planner solutions coming to market and I think probably five years on we're at the, the, the best sort of digital services to ease that experience but I'm very excited over the next 24 months I think it'll get easier and easier it's definitely charging anxiety over range anxiety I think yeah. the range anxiety thing comes up as the barrier for someone who doesn't want to consider anything so yeah. I think people who are thinking about it go oh it's totally fine and and that that like uh, yeah, average journey per day stat hasn't changed in like 25 years yeah the 20 to 30 miles a day uh, piece and it's just the bit where exactly that you know well, well you know the one time a year I need to do a long drive don't have to wait yeah. to charge on the way down it is just a complete that that's the person who isn't going to be a yeah, adopter yeah. in the near near I, time I, I think for ourselves I was interested Mike, Mark your experience Chris I, but I remember driving a fairly early i3 and figuring out quite quickly nothing on that vehicle but the technology at the time you couldn't really trust your remaining range and it would vary mm-hmm. quite a lot quite quite uh, in a volatile way mm-hmm. um, that's softened now I know there are some cars out there which still are not as good at it mm-hmm. um, but most of the sort of main household brands I think the range predictions getting yeah. pretty good now. I think my one's um, lower I think my one under calls it really yeah, yeah. I think the Polestar says 250 miles when you fully charged it and I definitely think it gets more a few times I've looked at it and gone oh this journey's 60 miles and I look at how much range I've lost when I get there and it's, it tends to be less sense I think it under calls it a lot of the time I don't worry too much about it I'm, I'm a bit concerned going into this will be my first full winter with an EV so that impact mm-hmm. of going oh it was 10 degrees in UK weather as well you know 10 degrees yesterday is minus 6 today oh okay right now I haven't I had enough range when I went to bed but I didn't want to go up there yeah, that type of thing can be a bit more uh, challenging but yeah I haven't had enough experience of that yet um, well, that's a big challenge we see uh, through our uh, cool care desk and uh, you know, the various analytics around the users. Um, you, you're, you know, you're shifting electrons around. It's very different to refueling uh, with, with conventional fuels. So whether the vehicle preheats yeah. will use some power. Um, temperature affecting how the vehicle can then deliver and perform, what auxiliaries you're using. People, I think new users haven't really understood this still. We're starting to enjoy the sort of entry phase, I think, of a sort of mass adoption scale in the industry in that a lot of people who ring our help desk aren't techies and enthusiasts. They're people just trying to do a regular job and something's gone wrong and they need help quickly. Arguably, I don't think they really care about the fuel cell on their vehicle. They just need it to work and and give them the range. But what we're finding is people saying, I'm on a seven kilowatt charge or I'm only charging at this rate or I've been here three hours, I expected X amount of charge and I haven't had it. And you need to explain the characteristics of the car, which we have to educate ourselves, uh, the characteristics of that particular week, weather, the type of charge, and then their kind of behavior nuances. So there's a real consumer piece still to get right around just because the vehicle's rated at a level of charge. There's a real nuance to the experience you'll actually enjoy and the, and the amount of kilowatts you will receive. The cold, the, the cold weather versus warm weather is something we we see a lot, and it's something I we run cars over a longer period of time at Auto Car, and uh, it's I've said this a few times in our copy that 
manufacturers should be quoting winter range and, and summer range, you know, rather than, I know there's sort of, you know, regulations and WLTP, et cetera, et cetera. But in terms of like moving the language, updating the tests, if you published a summer range, an average 20 degree day and a winter range, a zero degree day, I think that would be far more helpful because we see drop off in our testing can be as much as 30, 40% of the, really, the cars. Yeah. And, uh, but we're noticing in our in our search traffic even, the search terms are going like, what is an electric car before is now like, what is the most efficient electric car? You know, efficiency is becoming a far more interesting thing. And I, I drove a Kia Nero EV to France on holiday a couple of weeks ago and must have done eight, 900 miles fully on the public charging network, had a Kia charge app and an RFID card and never had a single single problem at all but Good. it yeah. requires a bit of practice i think and it's it's sort of learning to walk again in a way when you're running an electric car as opposed to you know jumping in and putting 100 liters of diesel in your in your range rover or something like that yes yeah 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 i think the, the interesting one for for me was i had a experience of both really when i first got my ev i was still in a flat didn't have home charging it was soon to move but i had kind of like two two months of uh, of that and having to kind of rely on the public network and that was in the winter and that was one where it was a lot more tricky than being able to go right i know i've got you know, i did it today i haven't charged for two weeks before last night because i've not been, really been anywhere but i've gone oh, i've got a longer drive this morning right so just plug it in and then i know that i'm going to wake up for 250 miles and it's totally fine so i guess that's the the challenge that connected curve is trying to address really because there are a lot of people that aren't in that position to uh, to do it but uh, how do you guys kind of see that that market shaping up is the demand coming mostly from local authorities is that kind of the, the the area that you guys are focusing on yeah it is i think i think um areas of longer dwells so local authorities know they need to respond for their residents you know this a lot of you know there's a lot of myths and, and arguably stereotypes around those with driveways and those without you know i don't have a driveway i'd love to be able to charge in the in the flats in which i live um, but that provision's not been put in yet by the by the local authority um so there, there's a real call for a whole access point across all demographics and and you know social levels to have access to public infrastructure um, and then the other piece is around workplace and your relationship with you know commuting if you are using the car every day for work um, how you charge at work, how you charge at home, what's business trip versus a home trip. And there's all these different services, MENA and alike, that are very, very good at um, you know resolving these for you. But I think in terms of barriers to entry, there's still a lot of research to be done. There's a lot of heavy lifting on the user. Mm-hmm. And something I'm very passionate about is to, is to make that as frictionless as possible uh, so that you, you can offer a kind of turnkey solution to use the pun. Um, that it is very easy to adoption, dispels anything you've read in the, the Daily Mail to, to sell, sell click rates and headlines mm-hmm. um, and, uh, and just get into a, that assurance of, of next charge. Um, I think once you spend a little bit of time as you to do a bit of research uh, and exploring this, maybe you had a few successful charging, it becomes very obvious. Um, but I still talk to a lot of people nervous to make the switch because they're, they're delayed and derailed by um, baiting headlines, which aren't helping. Mm. I think there's a big call in that, the general public media, particularly sort of national press, need to take a, a better stance on this because you see you know you don't hear car fire on m4 which happens all the time you always hear ev car fire <laughs> yeah. and things like that as a journalist it's actually it it's quite a complicated subject to explain succinctly and it's very easy to write a negative headline um around evs but it's a positive headline always needs a, a clause and you know something else explaining and it's i mean well Going back to 2030, it's clearly political. It's a political decision above all else to try and win some votes yes. in a by-election. Um, the upcoming by-elections, I think they've, they've conflated the issues around 
the reaction to ULEZ with the recent by-election in the London area with a kind of wider 2030 EV thing. It, it, you know, Labour have said we're going to reverse the ban on 2030. At that point, it's it's party politics, and people like yourself probably have to <laughs> pick up the pieces at that point. Yeah. On, on, on that demand, um, a lot of conversations get rooted in London, but but geographically what's the spread of demand for, for your business and what services and, and you know those local authorities are they, is it all urban councils or more rural ones yeah where's that coming from we yeah great question so we have a, a, a real mix i would say at the moment um the lion's share of our installs are definitely in the in the south uh, in england and, and south england um but within that we see a, quite a mixed bag of different estates so this, I would describe them as sort of early adopters like Coventry, who recognise the benefits of securing infrastructure funding now, putting out a large estate, um, I think we're heading up towards a thousand sockets uh, in Coventry, which is a lot for the local population who, through the data, are showing us that they haven't yet made the switch. Utilisation is, is quite low. But the council are taking approach that there's funding there at the moment. This is future-proofing on long-term contracts, which the private sector like. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're setting themselves up for a future where, if it's 2030 or 2035, the switch will have been made through those contracts. Um, and then we've got others, uh, West Sussex and Surrey, of two contracts we're particularly proud of. Financially, they work very well, the public and private sector coming together. But they're also of an install which shows a good comprehensive EV network uh, that will offer the right level of accessibility for the users. Uh, and then there's a lot of others in between. So just with Surrey and West Sussex, you've got real rural locations. And they're talking about the more sort of um, respectfully, but the more sort of provincial high street that maybe you'll see adoption later, but it still needs to be there if you're traveling through the region. Uh, lots of driveways, lots of green space where people live in a more traditional uh, detached property, um, right through to their more dense, dense urban environments. Um, Woking, um, you know, places all along the south coast um, all need that access to infrastructure. And coupled with that as well is obviously they've got a lot of local housing, social housing. So how do they look after their residents that depend on them for other services today? This is just another sort of public infrastructure service uh, and needs to be considered that they could future proof uh, that accessibility now. Um, And then in terms of private sector, there's a lot of workplace charging going we favour the sort of suburban environments because if there's loads of driveways people are charging at home, we don't think short term they'll need public infrastructure. But your friends and family will if they're parking on street. If there's still those amenities needed locally, uh, we still think you'll need charge points as a local amenity over a, over a long enough time period. So there's a real blend. We're seeing utilisation at all different levels across the, across the UK. Um, we're seeing some real peaks uh, which is quite phenomenal. We've got some sockets out there knocking on 50% utilisation, which is huge in the slow charging space. We're on a very different business model to rapid charging that need 50, 60, 70%. Our business can thrive on a lot less, but it's really interesting to see people make that switch and see where that dependency is. Uh, and it doesn't follow all the myths that you, you hear about in the headlines. There's a, there's a real mix uh, geographically. We're using this data all the time to try and inform our, our, our next rollout so we get smarter and smarter at how we roll out where and for who. Um, but that sort of placemaking uh, expertise is still needed, I think, in the industry as a whole. And importantly, within the local authority to have somebody that you can talk to and exchange data to on a sort of planned estate. Um, so a long answer, Mark, but I think it's very, very mixed. Even in Coventry, just to settle, east and west of Coventry behave very, very differently as a network. Uh, because you think about the type of traffic in and out of those regions, A road versus B road, residential versus business, you have to understand each place in, in quite granular detail 
uh, before you form a, a view on what's good, what's bad. Now, when you're thinking about doing your installs as well, something I'm always interested in, you talked about the, the rapid charging stuff, which is something you can kind of plug in and go relatively quickly as a quick turnover, usually in, um, I was going to say public places, usually in retail, some actually in petrol stations and things now. But we're talking about kind of slower on-street parking in the comparison to kind of um, driveways. Driveways, but in the housing estate that I live in, new estate, all houses have got a charger. But actually, you don't need one because we talk about you know charging once a week or once every few days. So, is there kind of some numbers that you guys have around uh, how many public charges do you need? Uh, how many kind of on-street charges you need per household or per car or per per person? Because it isn't a case of going to a Victorian terrace street and putting fifty charges along the, the street, right? Yeah, it's not one for one. <laughs> yeah, when I wish it was. It, <laughs> if anyone's listening, and wants to buy charge points. <laughs> It, very much we, we we offer a much more intelligent approach in terms of our installs so um, we think long term uh, somewhere between 10 to 1 10, 10 cars to 1 socket would be uh, offer a good utilisation to drive the business models and offer great accessibility for users and the reason is our analytics suggests that people will charge you know, maximum every 3 to 4 days as we've discussed already the ranges there on the car the batteries are going to improve um, the convenience of charging will be much more trust so you won't have this sort of constant plug-in 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 um, the flip side of that is while i think rapid serve a really good purpose uh, for the transition and where there isn't that uh, accessible public infrastructure uh, i think the the rapid model long term uh, still offers a level of inconvenience for me if it's mm -hmm. 20 minutes five minutes two minutes why would i stop on trip and i think for me it's an age-old model where we pump a very volatile liquid to dedicated facilities which aren't particularly i mean you can drink all the coffee you like in the world but you know <laughs> nobody goes as a, as a sort of tourist destination do they yeah. um if you can charge at home or charge at your destination much more conveniently yeah. that ultimately is what i think we're going to be able to trade is is that completely sort of ubiquitous convenience uh for where you'll come from or where you're trying to get to uh, away from a go out of your way, sit there for 20 minutes, get some kilowatts, maybe some coffee you didn't want. And they go, oh, well, I can only drive so many miles because I need to use a bathroom. Again, doing 20 miles a day, very few of us stop on the commute to work to use the facilities. We're going A to B and back again. Um, so we'll see how that plays out long term. Uh, but I think, yeah, around sort of 10 to 1 would see the UK largely done. That's an awful lot of sockets still. The private sector have to put an awful lot of capital infrastructure out to do that. Um, the flip side of that today is we're, we're sort of installing anywhere between a, a cluster of sockets. We like to install up to sort of six sockets off a feeder pillar, which serve in around sort of 100, 150 households. And then you would look on to another cluster somewhere nearby. So you're talking between a three and five minute walk from these different clusters yeah. that we've put out. And again, the level of convenience that affords suggests to us in the data that people are happy at that point. Mm. Um, we can come back in 2030 and look at infilling. But right now, that's enough for most most people. Yeah, that makes a whole lot, of, a lot of sense. I think the rapid are either you know, on trip kind of top ups, as you say. I think also people on the petrol station things. A recent experience I had is people think if they go to the petrol station, they fully tank their Range Rover, as you said. Mm -hmm. That's not actually what you do when you go to a rapid charger. You go, how much range do I need to get home? You know, recently went on a trip away. There wasn't there was charging at destination didn't work. So until our uh, Brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> charge, charge <laughs> challenge, it was an old Tesla charger from about ten years ago. Um, so I was like, oh, God, I haven't got enough charge to get home. I need 15%. And there was one at a Shell garage. It would give me 120-ish kilowatts of charge. So it's fine with 15 minutes. 
he only got the 15 I think I got 20% little buffer it's yeah. like you don't need to sit there and go oh this is going to be one hour to fill the whole thing up but that's kind of, kind of the mindset change as well isn't it but yeah. then I was able to charge at home when I before I left to make sure I 100% so it makes life easier I'm interested as drivers like what, what your tips are to drivers so I always tell people who are nervous sort of get into it charge halfway on your journey so you know you can finish yeah. the trip and get back to that point yeah. if you're unsure about destination but have you guys got any tips you'd give for drivers out there? We just said do your research. Fundamentally, yeah. it's like kind of work out what's best for you. I, I think of the one to France. I I was working out in F one terms a two stop strategy. Okay. Like, like an early <laughs> splash and dash, you know, at the tunnel, and then somewhere halfway. But you, you find brands of charger you like and and come to respect, and you know what's linked to your RFID card. That that's another thing I'd I'd recommend and started to push is take advantage of the sort of service that the OEM is offering you at the same time. Sign up to this, you know, on Kia, I think it's called Kia Charge, and it's an app, and it's got, you know, it, I mean, I, I couldn't tell you how many companies are on there, but it looks like a pretty thorough coverage to me of the network. Then you get there, you touch, you're not having to worry about putting your, your credit card details in and, you know, it not working. Then it, once you've got that... Uh, once you've got that security of that app, um, yeah, you're rarely you're rarely caught short. I think mm. so. It comes to research and then make use of the services around, and that's something we've got to get used to. I think as as drivers, you know, is 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 not just a car. Well, it's you know, Kia can offer you this app and this cart that allows you to charge. So, yeah, that that that's probably my biggest tip is research and make use of those those services around you. Yeah, mm. yeah. I think for the one that you mentioned actually is the thing that I've figured out. I guess that you. Have, figure out what you're living with it is that bit of you know topping up as as you go find a good charging company that you know en route and get back to whatever you think you need to either get back to that same point or to get home or whatever it is and that bit of right, okay i can't do enough for a round trip i'm going to be short 30 percent, 50 percent, whatever i need to get that somewhere but it doesn't matter where and and pick that up from a place that you feel trusted or you you know i think it's it's the planning piece for sure yeah, yeah, and I, again, that planning, but also that habit that users get into, yeah. and I think that's really interesting. As technology moves on, we are habitual creatures, yeah. and to shift and change a model is a is a real challenge. And people will find what works for them and repeat it. Like driving your commute to work, very few of us go, yeah. "Oh, I'll try this route today" or something. Once you found something that works, you just keep going. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we have to be aware of that as users, that the digital propositions are going to change and get better and better. And you'll see much more uh, collaboration and integration across the different services. So I'd say even if you found sort of a method that works, do keep yourself open and try different things and talk with the community and see what works for other people as well mm. um, before you get too set in, uh, in one model. Yeah. Char charging speed is another one I think is becoming increasingly important. That's the one thing... Less day to day, or charging at home, or and the old, whatever that does doesn't really matter because I'm going to be here for eight hours, etc. But when you're on a journey, charging speed I'm finding is becoming the most important factor. So the the Kia isn't one of the fastest chargers; it could probably pick, max out at about eighty odd kilowatts. And uh, a couple of times en route, I'm in a rapid charger that's only giving me thirty kilowatts. I'm like, hang on, if I spend like to Chris's point, you need that thirty percent. Actually, I'm not going to waste time here. I'll just go 20 miles up the road yeah. and get it there. So it's it's like learning a, a new language. You're beyond brake horsepower and torque and 0 to 60s. Actually, the language of EVs, efficiency and then charging speed um, are becoming are becoming big ones as well. It's yeah. definitely a tricky one around the rapid chargers that I found. That's, again, it's not, not necessarily a tip, but it was a thing that I only 
learned from doing it is about that charge speed. I just expected I'd go to a 50 kilowatt charger and get a 50 kilowatt charger, get to 150, get 150. And actually that wasn't the case. There was two when I didn't have home charging, there was two I was using in Milton Keynes and I got faster from the 50 than I did from the 150, just because of the nature of the setup and, and where it was and I guess compatibility with the car or whatever. So that bit of, in, your, in my head, I was going, oh, if I'm doing this journey, I'll just get there. I'm going to get 150, right? 150 divided by thing, right? That's how much time I need. And that's not the case. So that's definitely a thing that um, I, I was banging on for the first couple of months of saying that the, in the same way as cars have to have MPG, an individual charge point should have like average charge rate because it, yeah. it is dependent on not even just the type of machine that it is, but its location and how popular it is and all of that kind of stuff. So it should say, well, this 150 is only gives on average 40, but this one over here gives on average 80. Yes, you can't yeah. choose, but um, Maybe I mention after tomorrow's show, a bit busy at the moment, but after that, I'm, <laughs> I've shown yeah, yeah. <laughs> standard for charging. But I think you're absolutely right. I, I, I'm quite disappointed by the digital community and, and sort of, I guess, representing our, our work that this isn't easier for consumers. I've spoken a lot mm. this morning about convenience, but um, we've had people ring up, you know, our help desk and say, uh, I'm on your charger, advertise at this rate of charge, I'm only receiving X, and we'll say, what car are you driving? Are you in that model? How old is the car? Mm. And trying to explain to them that their, you know, twelve-month-old vehicle isn't capable to charge at the rate that's advertised. And again, it's all about that nuance, that education. Mm. Whether on ultra slow, ultra rapid, ultra fast, fast slow, it's it's a real it's challenge out there to communicate that. And also settings in the car and all that kind yep. of stuff. I got quite a few times where the software update pushed to my car and it automatically then set the limit to 70% I've plugged in overnight wait for 100 got in the morning got, oh, I haven't got enough to, to get to the place all the things like that you have to kind of check and keep your eye on and stuff it's yeah. just going to say totally different to, uh, and with lots of benefits <clears throat> over ICE vehicles obviously but it's, it's, it's learning a different uh, different setup and, and I think I think the challenge is people go what we hope and we're trying to move towards the convenience of a 13 amp socket which we can see a few um the people plug in and expect to get that level of charge and work just like an on or off. They don't know about all of that uh, phasing and the, and the system behind it, which which gives them a different result. Um, so exactly like that setting, incredibly disappointing. But I bet your first reaction was to look at the socket and go, is it working? <laughs> yeah. Rather than go into the car's brain and see what the setup. That's the challenge we have as a as a effectively a, a, what looks like a basic socket on the street to use is all of this nuance from getting to the actual battery but say it's getting better and there's a lot of solutions coming that will improve this uh, over, the, over the next year or so one of the things that I'm really interested in and something we've, we've actually talked about before Ben is kind of social mobility part of this you know, EVs are still expensive used car market's kind of a bit weird I'm not going to say they're expensive but it's a bit up and down and all over the place um, if you're in a lower income household maybe you're less likely to have off-street parking so home charging is more difficult um, and obviously this price disparity between the um, kind of public and, and private network you know, the charging at uh, the cost to charge at home versus the cost to charge um, on on street or um, uh, actually a rapid charger and things so kind of creates this like double barrier it's harder for the people maybe you do some of the most driving and commuting and things uh, to get access to an EV and kind of what's your, your take on that there's a few interesting things we've discussed before on that though. yes yeah well again just on this the move um from 2030 to 2035 i think is a big challenge that um we we force a greater divide between those that have and have not mm -hmm. uh, because a lot of the private infrastructure needed to take care of the later adopting sites will be considering their options now across europe so that's that's a real risk driven by politics not 
uh, well, and a lack of leadership, I would say, on this topic. Um, the second thing then is around uh, the VAT rate remains unchanged. So it's 20% on street. Uh, so you're paying 5% at home. So that's a huge cost adder uh, for users. Again, if you're in a certain um, you know, price point anyway, that's just added pressure on your wallet that's going to you know, prevent conversion, especially if you're charging all the time. Um, that's, that's a significant cost. Uh, that users have to bear right now and again there's a benefit of having a driveway so mm. if you've, you've got the bigger house the rural acres the bigger yeah. drive you can have more cars more sockets probably one where the tax rate is absolutely the wrong way around yeah <laughs> playing VAT on home charging to fund the public charge network yeah. well yeah i mean our preference is just to bring it into line it's five <laughs> yeah. percent everywhere for now but um yeah we'll see so launching I, my political career yes vote now for yeah just on, on, on the unit cost ben to me, that all is almost the last thing you look at. You know, you, you, you look at location, availability, charging speed, etc. And then whether it costs 49 pence per kilowatt or 79, you kind of you suck it up either way. At what point do you see the conversation turning, um, you know, towards what you're actually paying for the cost of the unit to go in the electricity? And then what kind of free market might exist to, to drive competition? Because I've noticed, I saw a couple of tweets last week or X's, whatever they're called now, uh, where some Tesla charges have, have opened up opposite, uh, I can't remember the couple of say, I think it might have been GridServe ones, where the Tesla was, say, 10, 20 pence per kilowatt cheaper. You know, free market existing on the same site. What, when does the debate turn to that, do you say? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question, Mark. I think I, I think, I think for me, um, I think for me, the, uh, the challenge with the VAT will be borne out first by businesses, particularly big fleet customers who perhaps have employees or large fleets that they provide these services around, be it through a sort of EV card or um, some of the big names you've mentioned, who are recognizing this VAT challenge for their, their users and want a better deal. And I think they will start to join up with the political pressure uh, to see that addressed. Uh, and then I think also, I, I completely agree with you. I think there's a certain um, assurance again that you come to a location you've established you can get on an available charger you've plugged in and it's working and then only then are you looking at price i think if you're um charging a lot and using you know i think like sort of traditional tradesman let's go to that analogy if you're doing a lot of mileage and this is something that you're maybe billing the customer or having to incur on yourself um, as those costs accrue, it'll become more and more into your consciousness. And you'll then be looking either for that uh, lease or fleet provider um, or your customer to bear those costs. And again, that will also join up with the political debate. So I think that is something that government could move far quicker on. But historically, it shows us it needs to get high on the political agenda, largely as a vote winner, um, before it really gets addressed. Uh, so I think I think that's probably, uh, there's probably a timeline that we, people who work in politics can predict far better than I can. Um, but I think it's by getting that public opinion really charged about um, the, the stance on VAT. Um, and then as to your other points, I think, again, it's, you've got to follow the consumer there. I think it's unfair. There's so much heavy lifting on the consumer uh, to then dip into their pocket uh, on a lot of these issues, either to buy the vehicle, uh, think about the lifetime of the vehicle in service. Are they sort of jumping in now and will they get access to the best technology? Can that be upgraded to enjoy some of these benefits? Uh, and then, yeah, ultimately looking at sort of a total cost of ownership uh, in the lifetime of that vehicle. Mm -hmm. A couple of interesting challenges, I guess, with it, because we've talked a lot about convenience of charging. So I guess at the moment, convenience is king. So when you're looking, you're not shopping around for the best price because you want the one that well, hey, you, you maybe know is most reliable or going to be available or whatever. It's the convenience part. So I suppose when 
the infrastructure is more wide, then the choice becomes, you know, the choice factors become slightly different. I think there's also a bit about the social mobility aspect. You know, I think probably the people driving EVs today would be the people that wouldn't have been bothered about fuel price with an ICE vehicle because it's not because that's not the thing that's hitting their their bank balance. You know, about an extra five p for fuel between this petrol station and that. Choose one convenience. Um, if you've got EVs in lower income households, they are going to be worried about because that's the cost for their commute. It's one of their big would be one of their bigger household expenses. So I think there's probably a bit of a challenge to to come on that. So it's later on the adoption curve, as you said. I yeah. Think, yeah. And when it, convenience comes out of it, and when it becomes a day to day cost. And recent history shows us with this sort of energy crisis, I think a lot of the sales pitch before was that uh, you know, energy is cheaper, this is cheaper. I was always cautious to that because all the evidence was there that energy was going to move. Um, so I think if, but if you go back to a pure environmental choice, that doesn't fit an awful lot of people as well who have more um, urgent needs around price, getting to work, getting jobs before worrying about more environmental causes. I'm sorry to say that, but it's, it's true. Um, so I think if just being an environmental case doesn't necessarily work. There has to be a financial one. But I think there is a political context to look at that as well. And back maybe to free market, I think um, there's great opportunity in opening up a free market, particularly local authorities who may dictate a price of charging yeah. is a challenge for us to meet all, all the time through our contracts. But then there's also that convergence in the energy sector. Um, it's an opportunity for the big power utilities to now go on street through a new medium to exchange energy rather than just to your homes or through your business. Um, but that opportunity needs to be embraced with really intelligent business models that protect the user. And um, I'd love to say leave it entirely to free market forces, but there will always be those acting in a way that is much more strategic to acquire customers um, than is, is true of market forces and, and sort of a true price uh, for charging the car. So. I'm not sure whether it should be complete free reign uh, because that risks exposing certain user groups. Equally, I think it needs a level of control that is at least sort of intelligent uh, to the contracts and to the energy uh, markets themselves. Again, there's a lot of technology that offers the user access to energy markets in that way. Um, but I think time still needs to play out at a contract level as to the best solution for that. How is your how is pricing set at the moment? Is it, you mentioned a bit of local authority interaction in there and, and do, do you ever when you're setting the price per kilowatt hour are you looking at the the cost of charging around you in, in rival firms absolutely yeah it's something we we continuously benchmark now you, at the moment there's a lot of technology coming to look at the kind of half hourly markets and you know a lot of hedging in energy that is all for a future day as, as capacity and utilization comes up um, i think at the moment it's something we look very hard at as we renew our energy contracts and consult with the local authority on as well. So, okay, well, you know, let's look at your other public infrastructure. How is that being run and is this any different? Uh, yes, utilisation may be very different. Charging a car is very different to just standing under a street lamp. Um, but there needs to be some of that context given to these commitments as well, these contract commitments uh, as well. And then you've also got the user. You know, what can the user actually bear and what is uh, politically and at a price point uh, useful to them relative to the job that they're doing. Um, there's definitely a limit and I would always argue that EV should remain lower than ICE vehicles but it depends again on the tax chain that gets attached to it in a way that 100 years has shown us in traditional fuels but ultimately we've got to stop burning dinosaurs and I think the government need to help with some of that regulation, that policy setting uh, to guide things like price and right through to where this kit goes over what, what period I think there's a big government role here still to address. Yeah, definitely. No, I think it's, a, it's certainly an interesting one around, yeah, how 
how to best manage that energy because it does come all the way from you know, the energy generation, the the demand overall for energy supply, supply versus demand, all the way through to then how it, the tariffs get applied, what type of services are being consumed, speed of charge, convenience, all of those kind of things. There's a, a number of layers on it, and I feel a little bit at the moment people are kind of just going, "I'll oh, slap a price on it and it'll be fine." But at some point, it will have to. Uh, and there's some huge opportunities that some technology can play in getting people to charge at the right times for the grid, getting people to charge at the right times from a demand point of view. Don't want everybody trying to all charge in the evening straight after work or in the morning on the way to work or whatever it would be. So I think there's some of those things, but again, that comes, I guess, with more adoption, more maturity in the, in the yes, market. Yes, yeah. And I think there's something there. I, I, a friend of mine uh, hasn't had an energy bill since 2016. They live very rurally, and they just embrace this very. very they've got you know, ground ground source pumps. Yeah. They've put in solar. A lot of grant funded solar very early, uh, and they largely live off grid. They've got some local storage as well, some yeah. repurposed leaf batteries and things like that. Yeah, that and that's a fantastic case study for the future of this technology. Mm. But it would be such a shame uh, if you depend on certain public services, um, and that's a stereotype. Many of us don't but need them there as well uh, that you would be stuck charging on street with 20% VAT without any of these uh, additional opportunities so again if you've got driveway and space the opportunity is yours to think about your off-grid strategy in a way that if you're tied up in you know flats or don't have this, this similar opportunity you'll be stuck behind a paywall which is also capped with 20% VAT mm. uh, that's a big big issue to get right for, for the UK then. and that's why it's a really interesting polarised discussion really we've had earlier on in the the series we had Jordan Brompton from My Energy on talking about home charging. We talked very much about the off-grid stuff, and I think you know it's a vision for lots of people, a thing that people want and very achievable, and with some of their technology. But that's kind of one end of the market, and then you've got people you know, relying on public services. And it seems at the minute, like if you've got lots of, if you've got a driveway and got lots of money, you can really benefit from having an EV. If you haven't, it's you, this kind of the chips are stacked against you a little bit from from a government perspective, at least, and it makes it difficult. It's more difficult to get a car. It's more expensive to charge it, more difficult to charge one of those things, and you can try and find some balance between them. Yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. definitely starting my political run. <laughs> yeah, I didn't even know I was doing it. Got this morning. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I you know. It's one of the few things in life that you don't actually know what it costs when you're when you're buying a service mm. because it? it's. Oh, I probably got a bit lazy on the app, you know, because it was working so well when I was driving through France, and there was a lot of like four pound fifty six from the trip to the supermarket, mm. but I. It was almost soured the experience. But the very last charge I did was back at the um, the, the the Euro Tunnel port, where the, the charge on the app was displayed as forty nine cents per kilowatt hour. But then I got billed at basically double that and queried it, and oh no, it's because um, the the information on the um, on the charging point was incorrect. And it, even for people who you know use them and hopefully know a little bit what we're talking about. It's a bit of a wild west still um, mm. when you're out in the world, and and yeah, I think we we hear this from water car readers and our, our web users a lot. Is the is the it's it, oh, I can't think of the right word. <laughs> it's the um, transparency. Sorry, it's the transparency around around pricing um, that that is is a bit of an issue at the moment. Yeah, and I, I think perhaps more for your audience. As so a fleet manager of today, there's still a barrier to adoption of the drivers. Maybe some resistance in your workforce. You've got the cost of the vehicle and what's the lifetime of the vehicle, you know, what's its end of life value and things like that. Then you've got the user experience, which you know, do you need extra services, breakdown support, lack of charging? What's this going to cost, uh, you know, on the cost center or a project code and things like that? There's a lot 
still a sort of heavy lifting inconvenience to offer those people who make the purchasing decisions. And it's disappointing that it's now 2023 and we're still going through some of the discovery on those issues. Um, where you look at other countries like the Nordics, famously, is sort of like, you know, remained five, eight years ahead of us, where these things aren't an issue and they've enjoyed that mass adoption as a result, you know, in their, in their public, public and business transport. So I think you're right, there's some real big issues there still for the UK, particularly to, uh, to nail. <laughs> How, how important do you think you know roles such as this podcast and our own work are in in leading the conversation really in educating people because I've, sometimes I find with the EV community it, it, it is kind of quick to snap back in a way about sort of perceived negativity around it but I, I think some of the things I've talked about here is it's people do need their hand holding and if your only interaction with a car is maybe buying one every four years and you really don't care about what car it is suddenly it's going to be electric people are going to be discovering all these new this new lexicon around charging speed for the first time so so how big an education job do you, do you think needs to be done and will continue to need to be done over the next few years i i think it i think it's still very much exactly an education piece we've still got mass media headlines which are being very detrimental to the actual experience um we still observe some false reporting where you know ev flood damage um I was, yeah it was in the petrol renault captor yeah 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 exactly <laughs> yeah um it was actually a, a gearbox control unit so yeah. nothing to do with ev at all but that went out there so i think i think that is a huge challenge uh, for us in the mass media piece i think as individuals um I, th- I think still a need just to be open to it you know try and have a go talk to peers get in a vehicle have have the experience i think particularly for a fleet manager in the sort of mid-van market is trying to read as much information as you can as the models that are coming soon i pre- fully appreciate they're still quite expensive my wife runs a small business and has a, a transit van and has looked at the switch but it's a very expensive asset to bring on the books of what is a small family business at this moment um but she's open to it and i think that's a key thing is listen to the user journeys try and get into the vehicles think about which use cases suit the earlier adoption um, and, and just being open to have a go don't be blocked by a, a headline which you can use in the pub to uh, ruffle feathers that's um it's time to move forward now stop burning dinosaurs we're still definitely one. early on in the, in our journey aren't we? yeah i can't, can't count the number of times that people have said have you heard about all those car parks that are collapsing because of the evs yeah <laughs> Yeah, are you able to do that education? You know, even with, with with authorities as well. You know, the people with the with the purse strings and and, and you know the the ability to access this funding. What kind of interactions do you have there? Uh, a lot at all different levels, I would say. Yeah, it's a it's a full time job for us, and I think also helping that education effort, getting other departments to talk to each other. Um, I'm particularly interested at the moment, also with Chris, our CEO, on the the public private investment and how that's now coming together. There's a lot of private capital ready to turn up in the UK. Um, I'm sure they'll take a temperature check following uh, yeah. last week's announcement, which is hugely disappointing for jobs and growth here. Um, but there's 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 plenty of capital there as long as the contracts support. So. For us, it's working with the uh, purchasing managers to make sure the contracts enable this discussion and are supportive to that sort of access to funding um, and then letting market forces sort of deliver the rest. Now's, now's well time uh, to let the market ad- adopt this one, certainly for public infrastructure. And just, just a final question for me on Connected Curb itself. How big a company are you now? How many employees? And what does the growth of the company itself look like over the next few years as we head towards... 2030 slash 35 yeah we we remain extremely positive um we're um as an sme scale up we're going through significant sort of 
growing pains as we learn about the market, understand which local authorities move at, at different paces. We manufacture our own products, so we're still finding sort of perfect product market fit, uh, making sure we deliver on the use cases. But the business itself is now up to 100 people. Uh, we were backed, um, widely publicised by Aviva last year to help us sort of scale our business proposition. And we're sat on a very, very healthy pipeline of installs, which we hope the general public will sort of continue to enjoy all the time we do see utilization going up and up uh, which is something our, our business thrives on particularly on those longer term contracts that are linked to uh, you know shared revenue with with local authority or business accordingly so the outlook is very positive for us yeah excellent awesome. yeah no thanks ben it was a great insight as, as always and good to be uh, covering certainly some of the stuff from the uh, the, the kind of public side that, that it's a really fascinating bit of the argument that doesn't get covered as, as much i think so uh, yeah thanks for coming on it's been, been really good thank you for having me yeah really enjoy the, the questions and discussion and uh, yeah enjoy your ev driving future thank you ben thank you chris and thank you for joining us today on the change makers podcast with tomorrow's journey we'll be back very soon 